Anyway, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're in the Gospel of Luke. And the whole reason we're in a gospel, it could have been any one of the gospels, is because the main reason we are here is to know Jesus and become like him. And the best way to do that is to get into one of the gospels as a starting point. It's right in Luke chapter 6, where Jesus says that those who are taught by a teacher become like that teacher. In any area, we want to become like Jesus. And the greatest witness to our community is our lives, not our programs, not our marketing, but our lives. Amen? Amen. We're going to look at, look at Luke 2, 1 through 20, title, A Savior is Born. And I want to keep in mind that I am talking to you now in 2021, not in 1995 when I first came to Portland or 2000. And even in these years, since I have been in the Northwest, our culture has changed. The general Bible knowledge is getting less and less and less. And even in our country, people know less and less about the gospel so you can't assume that if you tell somebody about Jesus, they know anything of what you're talking about. About 15 years ago, I went to India on a missions trip and did some training and for Bible students in, in Andhra Pradesh, India. I know you know exactly where that is. Oh, yeah, Andhra Pradesh. I love that. Right in the middle of the country of India. And in all of these very poor villages... We would go and minister. And if you walk into any one of those poor villages and ask them, do you know Jesus? They will often say, well, no, but if you go to the next village, maybe he lives there. <laughs> wow. I mean, what a revelation to wake up. We get so caught in our little bubble of how we think, don't we? The world is changing around us, and so we cannot speak in our little church echo chamber. We can't just use this terminology among us as if we know what's going on, and, and we assume we're talking to them when we're really not. An echo chamber happens in political groups, in religious groups, in all kinds of different little little groups that get enclosed in on themselves. We are not here to be isolated among ourselves. Talk to people around you, but we have to talk to them in plain language, not Bible speak. It's not heretical to say something the Bible says in plain language or in your words. The Bible was translated into Greek, in the common Greek, the Koine Greek, between the Old and New Testaments, so that it would be a common language. And God forbid I start sounding like a pastor out in public. I just want to be among people and be able to relate to them. And in fact, that's exactly how Jesus was. 
He wasn't strange among non-believers. In fact, strangely, he was welcomed by them. And I just want to be like that, don't you? I don't want to be uncomfortable around non-Christians because they have a lifestyle that, that is not what we know. Well, they need to hear about Jesus. Luke is writing to a Roman Greek culture. Now imagine that perspective. What are they thinking of? The Romans, in fact, had no religion of their own. All of the multitude of gods came from all the other cultures that they borrowed from. When they would conquer another peoples, they wouldn't abolish the religions. They would adopt them. So they would just pile up gods after gods. And then there's the Greeks that had the myths and the legends. What's fascinating to me is that as our country today shifts more and more toward being secular in its thinking, Americans and non-church people lump Jesus in with the same mythology as the Titans, the Greek gods. Did you know that? Because here's the thing. The story of a savior born into this world who is going to save the world from an evil force is an old story. It is the story of comic books, of the Marvel heroes. We love the stories of superheroes, don't we? Our culture is kind of obsessed with superhero movies. Now, before you just dismiss that, they are similar in some of the general points of the gospel. The world has been taken over by an evil force. A savior suddenly arrives onto the scene to defeat the enemy and restore goodness to the world. What does that sound like? Sounds like Superman. It, it, it sounds, it's Jesus. And because it is so similar in its kind of general story, even atheists are saying, well, Jesus is just like all these other mythological stories. Did you know that? You and I that are in our church bubble, we have to catch on. A well-known atheist or a man who was an atheist, Jordan Peterson, uh, a university psychologist and because he's kind of exploded on the internet lately. He investigated the facts of the story of Jesus and was so convinced by it, he became a Christian. And one of his intellectual peers kind of jabbed at him and said, you know, really the story of Jesus is just like all these other stories of myths and gods and heroes. And he just very calmly answered, yes, but then there is the fact of history. Because you see, the stories may be a little similar, 
But then there is the fact that the events of Jesus are actual, factual, historical events. And that's what Luke said when he started his gospel, that he was writing from eyewitness accounts, an actual narrative of what happened in the life of Jesus. Are you ready for a couple of goofy things? Say yes. yes. Okay. I think I have time. I'm taking as long as I need. I had a couple of pictures. I got ahead of myself. I remember at five years old. Are you ready for this? Show the picture. Got picture number one. Not, where is he? Okay. That was my first superhero. Five years old. Born, I was born in San Bernardino. And the Helms bakery truck would come through the neighborhood and he was selling the little record of the theme song to underdog. I remember I had to have that record. I can't remember the song now, but I remember underdog. How many of you know underdog? If you're. Oh, man. <laughs> then we go forward to about 1981, I think, or 1982. And the first movie I ever took my future wife to was the first Superman movie that was made with Christopher Reeves. You got that? That's, that's really a picture of me. <laughs> Superman. We love, there's something in us that loves these stories of a hero coming to save the world. Coming to save the day. And then we go all the way forward to today. We want the next Marvel movie or DC Comics. And I know not all the characters are the good guys. Some are the bad guys. And then we have, uh, yes. <laughs> this is a recent picture of our youth staff yeah. at an all-nighter. They dress like this all the time and every day. <laughs> yeah. It could be Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> Remember, C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Aslan saves uh, Narnia from, who was it? The witch? The yeah. Lord of the Rings? Yeah. <laughs> Frodo? Who's more unlikely? Frodo? Mentioned last week that my uh, nephew was an animator in Hollywood. He actually animated Gollum in two, the Twin Towers, the second movie, and the trees, the ants. What? The two towers. I'm not a nerd. You're a nerd. <laughs> so when you see Gollum in two towers, my nephew animated Gollum, uh, went to New Zealand and lived there for a time. Now, I hope you don't think I'm being silly by talking about this superhero stuff. But I'm telling you, this is how the world thinks. And to go even just a little bit more edgy, if you can handle it, I'm not sure if you can handle it. Some Bible teachers even see that maybe there's going to be some similarity to these Greek mythological titans in the book of Revelation, these God men, even Antichrist will claim to be God and he will have supernatural powers. So these old historical figures 
of mythology, will Satan play off of it in the end times? And we call them titans. Did you know the word for titan is derived from the word for Satan? There is some demonic connection with Greek mythology. So into this world of myth and legend, Luke wants us to know the facts. And what's different about Jesus is the facts of history. This really did happen. This really did happen. I want to look at four things this morning in the birth of Jesus, Luke 1, verses 1, Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. So if you're taking notes, write down these things. Number one, I want to look at how God directed Mary and Joseph. That's in verses 1 through 7. Follow with me as I read those verses. Luke writes, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed wife who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. God has sent forth his son into the world to restore the glory of God to our lives. We are born into this world and don't even always realize something is missing. God intended us to know him and for our lives to reflect his glory. And the absence of his presence is why we struggle, why there is an emptiness, why there is a a vanity to life, As Solomon said, God's glory was with Adam and Eve, but departed from them when they sinned. God's glory was in the tabernacle and the temple, but departed when Israel sinned. God's glory departed from Samson when he sinned. And at this obscure, quiet little moment, the glory of God is coming back into the world. Now consider, and it's been said by many preachers, if God is sending his son into the world, we would have done it differently. We would have had marketing teams and all this fanfare. We love the huge celebrity status. But when you realize God does things differently. God wants his son to be like one of us to be accessible by every one of us, not removed and protected by palaces. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, 
the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Rome took the census every 14 years for military and tax purposes. And each Jewish male had to return to the city of his fathers to record his name, occupation, property, and family. And as as much of a hardship as this was for Mary and Joseph to have to travel during her pregnancy, it was the very thing that God used to get them to Nazareth. I'm sorry, to get them from Nazareth to Bethlehem, where Jesus would be born, because the scripture said he would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. But why would they travel when she's in the middle of her pregnancy? It was Rome's edict of taxation every 14 years. And because so many people were there in Bethlehem, there was no room for them to stay. So they ended up staying in an inn and Jesus was born in a manger, which could have been a feeding trough or just an enclosure for animals. To clarify that this was God's son and to make no, uh, to not allow any room for confusion, the details have been spelled out. Just a few of them. The promised savior would be a man, not an angel a Jew, not a Gentile, of the tribe of Judah, from the family of David, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, and we can go on and on the list. Why? Because we need to make sure that this is, not maybe, but this is the promised Son of God, the Savior of the world. I love, there's a verse, Jeremiah 1.12, where God says, I am watching over my word to perform it. I am watching over my word to perform it. And that's why we love the word and we want to know the word. We don't want to talk about the word. We want to know the word and have God's word hidden in our hearts. The second thing I want us to notice is the announcement of the angels. That's in verses 8 through 14. Luke writes, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. For this will be a sign to you, another verification. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I don't know if you know this, but the shepherds were among the lowest class of people in Jerusalem. Did you know that? We we look fondly, romantically at the shepherds. We read Psalm 23 of the good shepherd. But at this time, shepherds were dirty. 
They kept the animals, and because they were considered unclean socially and spiritually, they were not allowed to even go to the temple for worship. How many people are like that in our community who feel that way? They look at their own lives as being unfit to go to church. You might invite them to church. They're going, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure if I really belong there. Too far gone. gone. And you go, well, that's exactly where you belong. Or even too far measured to somebody else's. Yeah. So we have many people who might feel like that in our community. But to see them through God's eyes, the very people that God announced the birth of his son to were the very people that were excluded from temple worship. The unclean shepherds. Another point of contention among critics is that these these angels announced goodwill among men and peace on earth. And critics have long, I've heard this before. Well, there's never been peace on earth. Have you ever heard that? They announced peace. But let me clarify, the angels weren't announcing that from now on there will be peace on earth. What they were actually saying was there will be peace in the hearts of those people who receive him. And that is absolutely true. The announcement has gone out. Whoever will receive the Prince of Peace will have peace on earth. And of course, looking way forward to when the Lord returns, he will establish peace and his kingdom upon the earth. Thirdly, I want us to look at the reaction of the shepherds. The reaction of the shepherds, verses 15 through 20. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things who, which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. Note, as it was told them. As it was told them. The great thing about these shepherds is they really weren't worried about any public reputation. They weren't worried about pride or prestige. They were already unaccepted. They had nothing to lose by just going and investigating and seeing if this announcement by the angels was true or not. And so they went And they found the babe lying in a manger as it was told them. And because it was true, they went and declared the announcement of the birth of Jesus. 
It's amazing just how practical these people were. They weren't hyper-spiritual. They weren't of any political or power or spiritual leadership note. They were just practical, everyday working people. And you know what people tell me about Albany? Is that they are practical working people. I find that the people of Albany, as I meet people, are just ordinary working people. And so we can learn of Jesus and just go tell them what we know. No hype, nothing to sell, just come and see Jesus. The last thing, fourthly, I want you to write down is the reaction of the Jewish leaders. It's actually not in this story, but I just want to tack it on here at the end. The reaction of the Jewish leaders. When news got out of the birth of Jesus, and then who else shows up from the Middle East, from Persia to be exact, is the wise men. Have you ever wondered why they would follow a star to find the birth of the Savior? What, it, what was it in their culture even that put it in their mind to come and follow this star? It was likely during the Jewish captivity of the Jews, the southern kingdom of Israel, into Babylon, which was then conquered by Persia. The Jews were there telling of their scriptures, whether it was Daniel or someone else. So here are these magi, these wise men from the Middle East, likely from Persia. They had heard the stories of the birth of a savior from the Jews during captivity. And now they have come to see if it was true, as was told them. And when they came, they came to Herod and they asked Herod, where is the savior born? And if you know Herod, he was a very short man with a huge ego. Herod the Great, he wanted to be called, but that's because of his ego. He wanted to know if this was true. So he calls the Jewish leaders and asks them, where is the Savior supposed to be born? And so they told him, well, the, the scriptures say in Bethlehem, it's Micah 5, 2. And what's fascinating is it was only five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. But they didn't take the time to go see if it was true. Did you know that? We have shepherds who go investigate. We have Herod, who is not a believer, who wants to know more about this, really so he can protect his kingdom. And we know where that story goes. He has the male children killed on two years old and under because that's about the time when the Magi showed up. Jesus was maybe around two years old. We have everyone investigating the facts of the birth of Jesus except the Jews. And when I think of just reaching our community, we just want to say, come and see. 
But here's the thing about you and I. We have to be people who are also investigating. And as we learn every day, every time I stand in front of you, I'm giving you evidence. I feel like an attorney. I'm not a preacher. I'm giving you compelling arguments that you should continue and even in more ways yield your life to Jesus Christ. That's what I'm doing. These are my closing arguments. So that it is so compelling that you you're convicted in your heart. I must yield my life over to the Lord. In in more areas of your life. I'm going to talk about the areas of needs in your life that that maybe you're not asking for the Lord to help you in. But how about if we put it to the test? How about if we just as a church say, Lord, do as much as you want to do, do whatever you want to do in, in my life and in this church. Remember, Paul said in Ephesians that God is able to do what is it? Above and beyond all that we could ask or think. So rather than us being suspicious that I don't know if I want to trust God, because what if he's going to make me do something I don't want to do? That is not your heavenly father. Did you know that? He's going to do above and beyond what is good for you. He might ask you to do something you don't want to do, but you know it's for your good. That he loves you and he's working things out. I can look back and realize the Lord took me places that I fought and fought and fought against. I never would have left California. I lived in Northern California in uh, Grass Valley, Auburn area. I had a business in Sacramento, one of my ice cream stores at Arden Fair. And I had a plan. Don't you love it when you have a plan and then the Lord doesn't follow your plan? And I, I have learned through these, these trials and transitions in my life. That if the Lord shuts something down, he, if he makes it difficult, he's getting me somewhere that's going to be amazing. I never planned to leave California. Who wants to live where it rains all the time? That's what I thought because I lived in the land of sunshine. I never thought I'd come to Albany. And yet here I am. And yet you just learn to say, wow, Lord, what are you going to do next? Instead of resisting the Lord, being suspicious, you just rest in the Lord. And you discover how amazing his plans are for our lives.